How you doing, church? All right, you sound good. It's less than three weeks to college football season. Uh, if you don't come, they'll lose. I'm just telling you. You're, you if, you want, if you want Jesus to root for your team, you need to, uh, you need to come. I'm a, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I was deep in sin last year, and so I'm hoping to turn it around, hoping for a revival uh, this year. So imagine for just a moment, maybe you're standing alongside a meadow or the edge of a hill, and Jesus is walking by, and he calls you off the sideline. He says, hey, why don't you come walk with me? Imagine you're about to go on a 30-mile walk with Jesus. Going on a hike. My family loves to hike. My wife, Angela, really loves to hike, and she has set some goals and, and then brought the family into it. She has shared her love of it with us, and throughout the summer, we've had lots of great adventures and, and uh, been some really cool places. We love being outside, and I love the opportunity that I have with my family for us all to be able to just be out there and just to walk and to talk freely and just to talk about things we see, to talk about things we've done, things we'd like to do, some great, just easy conversations just out there walking. And you're on a 30-mile walk with Jesus from the north shores of the Sea of Galilee up to the Golan Heights where he wants to take us today in Matthew chapter 16. What in the world do you talk about for 30 miles? But he wants to talk to you. you get a few days journey, really. It's, it's pretty much uphill, but it, it won't feel like it. What do you talk about? What do you ask him? If you're with him, with his disciples, what are they talking about? Are they talking about when he turned water into wine, those that were there, telling the ones who missed out on it? Are they talking about when he fed the 5,000 with just those few crackers and a couple of fish? Are they, are they talking about other people who've received their sight? Or what, what are they... What are they talking about? And it's Jesus. He's the one who stretched out his right hand and spoke the world into existence. So do you ask him anything about that? What was it like before man and woman? What was it like before? Is there any way you can even put it into a description? What, does he tell the story of the first time an elephant snuck up behind Adam and blew the trumpet so loud, just scared him. And Adam peed a little right there in the garden. Does, he, does, he, does Jesus laugh at those kinds of things? Does he tell the story? I mean, they know the story for them, these little Jewish disciples. They know the story of when Moses parted the Red Sea, really when God did it, Moses happened to be there and be the vessel, the instrument for that. Does he tell the story and say, you should have seen the look on Moses' face. It was priceless. Does he tell the story of when three Hebrew boys were cast into a fiery furnace and all of a sudden he shows up walking around the middle of the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the book of Daniel? Does, does he tell that story? What do you talk about with Jesus for 30 miles? And then you're, you're walking, you're walking, you're approaching this city called Caesarea Philippi. It's a city that's pretty well known in the ancient world. In fact, when Alexander the Great went through this area and conquered this area, he he marveled at some of the sites of this city. And at the time, it was called Panias. And, and there's a big cave in the side of a, of a rock here. And, and Alexander the Great came through and just marveled at it. And the, the Greeks, they marveled at it. It was, it was 
full of water at the time that it was conquered. And they said that it was so full of water that no one could ever figure out how deep it might be. So to the Greeks, that meant it went all the way down into the underworld. So this cave in the side of this rock goes all the way down to Hades. It is for them a gate of hell. This is one of the gates of hell. So they set up idols and and false gods all around the side of of this rock face. And of course now they're worshiping the god Pan. And and you've heard of him maybe a little. He plays a flute and messes around in the forest. That's about as far as it goes with Peter Pan. The Greeks had a much more sinister person that they were worshiping that involved a lot of immoral worship just out in the open, out in public. And then when the Romans take over this area, they build this big marble temple. And all I want you to understand from all of this history is that there's a lot of worship to a lot of false gods that involves a lot of awful things being done out in public that you would never see anywhere else in the world. You've been so enraptured with the 30-mile walk with Jesus that he's called you into that you don't even realize that he just walked you into Vegas. I mean, really, in the ancient world, that's what he's done. And he's walked you there to make a point. And we're going to see what the point is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus comes into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, great guys, good answers out of the Old Testament, you know your stuff, that's fine. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, and he's always got an answer, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Yes, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. With a bunch of false gods, a pagan temple, And an entryway to hell in the background, Jesus said, upon this rock, solid statement of faith that Peter has just made, I will build my church. And with the gate of hell in the background, he says, and hell will not be able to prevail against what I'm building. Such a powerful statement, such a powerful visual for these guys. And though he affirmed that Peter's name would be Petra, which means rock in this moment, he was not saying I will build my church on this person. He was saying, I will build my church on this rock-solid statement that he has just made. I'm building a church. In the Greek, the word for church is the word ekklesia. It means a group of of called-out people. But Jesus, to his disciples, most likely was not speaking Greek to them. He would probably have been speaking in Aramaic, and the word that he would have used would have just meant witnesses. And I don't think one's right or wrong over the other, what I want you to think about here is I think you can combine all of this to hear and to understand that the church is not just a building, it's people. It's people who are witnesses to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is a God-ordained gathering of people with a message so strong that not even hell itself can prevail against it, and that's who we are as a church here today. On that statement, I will build. And on that statement, nothing will come against you. 
It applies to every area of your life. If you're depressed today, if you're down and out, if you've been disenfranchised even with church, the message of Jesus is the one that you need. I know that for many of you today, things look great on the outside, but behind closed doors or in the recesses of your mind, truthfully, things are just completely out of control and you are just done. You're just done. And maybe coming here today is your last ditch effort to see. Is there any hope in the message of Jesus? And I'm telling you, it is the only message that there's hope in. It's the only message that he's promised to build. And if there's an area of your life that's falling apart, it's because that area of your life does not understand that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that resurrection power that we have on this side of the life of Jesus can permeate into every area of your life and build your life in the way that God wants it to be built. Church is the only thing he's ever promised to build. This, around this statement, it's the only thing he's ever promised to build. A group of people gathered to witness to the truth about him. I know that for a lot of you, there's a growing amount of fear when you watch the news. And there's a lot of people, and I've talked to people who want to just run and hide. They feel that evil is growing in our world. There's a temptation to shrink back. There's a temptation to bar the doors and the windows and to wait for better days. But Jesus said, when my people gather in my name, I'm in the midst of them. So no sickness, no disease, no corrupt ideology, no suffering or brokenness can stop his church from really moving forward. Nothing can stop it. And one of the great challenges in our country, in our world today, is that we have gatherings full of people who are standing off on the side instead of boldly and confidently marching forward with the only message that really matters in their everyday life, wherever they live, work, and play. I promise you, you can advance against even the strongest of opposition when you're actively participating with Jesus in his message, in his church. He's promised to build it. He's promised it would prevail. And then he turned to the disciples And he gave them the keys. He put them in the driver's seat. He has called us as his followers off of the sidelines, and he's given us the keys, he says. The keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. I'm giving you the keys. But they didn't know what to do with the keys yet. You remember that day? A lot of times you remember the first time that you like went out for a drive on your own. You know, that was a great day. Do you remember how hard it was for you to get to that day? And a lot of the young people today, they don't understand. I mean, I, I turned 40. I had to learn how to drive a clutch. You remember this? Not just that. The, the deck was stacked against me because the first car that I was learning to drive was a banana yellow 72 Super Beetle. Now, listen, I love this car. I miss this car. But when I tried to change gears in that car, sounds were made as if the gates of hell, as if it was coming right out of that spot. I don't know if you know this about a beetle, but you had to, in order to get it into reverse, you had to push down the clutch and then do some kind of magical thing with your wrist to get this thing to go into reverse. If you can learn to drive that car, you can drive anything, really and truly. It made awful noises. But I'm here to tell you today, that car was magic because I married my high school sweetheart, so it did its job. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. 
He gave the disciples the keys. They had no idea what to do. What is it that he just said? And this was in the winter before his final Passover, before his death and, and resurrection. And so after he, they've spent even more time with him, and after his death and his resurrection, things begin to click. They start realizing how the gears work, and, and it's one of the last statements he makes. Standing outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives to his disciples, he says this to them, and things start to click. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, he says... And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now he has told the church, the early church, the first guys and gals, the disciples were around, but there would have been more gathered around too. He has told them, how they are supposed to build this thing. They are supposed to make disciples. It's as if he's standing there on the, on the side of the hill and on the top of that hill, and he says to them, hey, go. Don't just stand here. And as you go, make disciples. You got one job. Make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who spends as much time as possible with the one they're following. A disciple is someone who wants to be close. Imagine that walk, that 30-mile walk. And he's called you off the side. And he says, walk with me. I want to talk with you. And you find yourself walking among a group of people, and you're hearing the stories. Can I ask you a question? How close do you want to be? Really? How close do you want to be? I mean, if you're, if you're good kind of standing off and just sort of hearing a part of the story, that's, that's your prerogative. But the invitation for a disciple is to come walk with me side by side, right with me, How close do you want to be? To be a disciple was to be as close to the one you are following as possible. And discipleship was never accomplished in isolation. Jesus could have done everything that he came to do on his own. But he invited these guys off the sidelines. He invited some gals off the sidelines. And he said there were... So many people following him. We know the 12, but there were so many others that we, that we hear about throughout the way, throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, who they were there at key moments too. He invited people continually off the sidelines. He, it, this was always to be done in a group. It was all, always to be done in community. Jesus did not live out his life in isolation. And he invited us to be close as his disciples I want to take this definition of discipleship and what a disciple is one step further, and I want to simplify it way, 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 way down. Because there's lots of books on discipleship. There's lots of, I think, misperceptions about discipleship. I want to simplify it to its most basic. There's a city in the book of Acts named Antioch. And some people come from Cyprus who are followers of Jesus. And they proclaim Jesus, and people begin to follow him, put their faith and trust in him. 
In the early church, you had to, the council in Jerusalem would go verify that things were happening, especially when they didn't know who the teachers were. And we never do find out who the teachers were. We just know that they were proclaiming Jesus. They were witnesses to the message that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And when they were doing that, things were happening. So the church sent a guy named Barnabas. And they sent Barnabas, and Barnabas was like, this is, this is incredible. It's happening. And Barnabas went to go get the only other guy that he felt like he should get to bring in to be a part of this. And it happens in Acts chapter 11. It says, and Barnabas left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Saul would later be known as the Apostle Paul. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now listen to this. All the way down to its most simple Everyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So I'm talking right now to those of you who have done that. You have believed that Jesus is who he said he was. And that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. That he had to because the wages of sin is death. But that he's risen from the dead today. That we might have abundant life that is truly life. Everyone who put their faith and trust in Jesus in Antioch and beyond, they were not just disciples, they were Christians. Hear this. The two terms are equal from Acts 11 forward. Being a disciple is not a second stage to being a Christian. It's not, the word doesn't mean super Christian. What do you think of Before now, when you think of the word disciple, do you think of the 12? Do you think of Mary Magdalene? Do you think of maybe some great pastor, evangelist? You're like, yeah, those are super Christians. They would have been the people. Do you think of them? Do you think of the flannel graph you saw in Sunday school when you were growing up? Whatever it is, guys in long robes, below the knees, of course, to be modest. Yeah, whatever it is. What do you think of? Now, erase all of that out of your mind. Because you're not just supposed to be standing on the sidelines watching those people. Erase all of that out of your mind. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you have a mirror, you can hold it up to your face and you can look and say, I am a disciple. You're a disciple. And so my question for you is... The same as it has been, I want to say to you, Jesus is saying to you, inviting you today, how close do you want to be? And the goal is knowing him, enjoying getting to know him, and as a result of that, becoming more like him. Yes, you, becoming like Jesus You can become like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Someone who's close, who does what he does, who listens to what he says, who gets close enough to listen, who tries to have the character of his teacher inside of them. You can be a disciple. You are a disciple. I know you don't think of yourself this way. I know you messed up this week. I know you said things you shouldn't have said, things, you know, I've heard them in movies. I know you've done stuff like that. You've you've said awful things. 
(laughs) Your spouse can be a disciple. Let's take it off you for a second. What? Really? Do you know what they've done? Your teenager is a disciple. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can become like Jesus. I can become like Jesus. You want to talk about a miracle? Truly, every single one of us have this invitation given to us. Author Dallas Willard says this, a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. A disciple is not a person who has things under control or knows a lot of things. Disciples simply are people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. That's it. We can have the same desire, the same intentions as the disciples, constantly revising, constantly working this out. You don't outgrow it, and the journey never stops. I know that there are some of you here today who... You've been coming to church for a long time. And there was a time in your life when you were full of growth and and full of energy and you were willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. You you, You wanted to conquer hell alongside of him, but yet somewhere at some point you stalled out. You stopped growing right in the middle of the road. Did you get there? Did you become Jesus? Of course not. It's a journey that never, ever stops. But the invitation is there to come close and to learn to pray as he prayed, to obey what he commanded, to love our enemies, to take time to be present with people, to treasure the kingdom of God above all else. We can have the power to do what is right and to withstand the most difficult of moments. We can experience peace. We can have a life penetrated throughout by love. We can learn to have a faith that can move mountains. We can have a hope that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances and overflows onto other people. You can have the character of Jesus Christ come out of you. At the moment of conversion, the Spirit of God is there to put you on the path to becoming more like Jesus and to help you prioritize and order your life around Him. Constantly revising. Constantly working this out, that's all it is. Constantly revising my marriage. Is my marriage reflecting Jesus? Constantly revising my finances. Are they reflecting Jesus? Constantly revising the decisions I make, the way I treat people, all of those things. At one point, Jesus defined discipleship in a very, very difficult way. In Luke chapter 14, he says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's a difficult, difficult saying. And the crowd who first heard this would not have understood this idea of carrying your cross, even the way that that we do today because he hasn't been crucified yet. No one around him would have understood that that was what was going to happen. They're not equating this statement with crucifixion, and I don't think he wanted them or us to. I believe his message is this. Be willing at any time to leave anything and everything you've got and follow me. Don't let anything get in the way 
of following me. Too often we allow ourselves to stand off on the side. We allow ourselves to be distanced from Jesus because we put our priorities on other things. It is just as costly to ignore the call to discipleship as it is to take hold of it. And so today the invitation is again to make the provisions to the revisions, to rework the priorities and to be awakened to his invitation to come close, to be awakened to the invitation to follow Jesus every moment of every day, to allow him to set your priorities and to be covered up in his truth, to be just as close to him as he wants you to be. He wants you close. This is why from time to time we talk about different habits. Some have called them habits of grace that invite us into knowing Jesus on a different level. I mean, we're doing one of them right now. It's corporate worship. And I just want to challenge and encourage us today that Sunday matters. Why does Sunday matter? When life is so busy, when schedules are so complex, when the kids have things on Sundays that they never used to have before, why? It's a weekly opportunity to make the revisions and be awakened again to what truly matters. And there's something powerful when we all do it together. Hundreds of years ago, Martin Luther said, at home in my own house, there's no warmth or energy in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Isn't that the truth? When I stay out, when I'm not a part of this corporate gathering, I mean, I don't have the same energy, I don't have the same fire, but when I come here, I'm reminded of what truly matters. Richard Foster says, when we are Truly gathered into worship, things occur that could never occur alone. It matters to start the week this way. It matters to start and to seek first the kingdom of God so that all these things can be added to us. It matters to start the week to set him as our first priority. But it's more than just Sundays. It's in moments of prayer every day. It's in trying to Learn to read his word every day, just little nuggets here and there, even if that's, his, if that's all you do. If you just start small, you can't follow Jesus. You can't be his disciple if you don't know what he says. It's, it's in learning to, to give. It's in learning to serve others. I mean, but the heart in every one of these habits is just to know him more, to enjoy him more. And perhaps the most crucial one of these habits, and there's more we could go into, but perhaps the most crucial one, is the one that so many people don't think they need. It's community. It's the group. Jesus could have accomplished everything he did without them. But with them, it was so much more that it sustains us to this day. You cannot live the Christian life in isolation. Author Don Whitney says there's an element of worship and Christianity that cannot be experienced in private or by watching. I would say by watching off on the sidelines. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in meeting together with other believers. We see this in the early church in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says this, they, the early church, the witnesses to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. They were gathered together. The word is fellowship. It's a word that's grabbed onto by the church in a lot of ways, but the word really just means partnership. We're to partner together. We're to walk with Jesus closely 
together. It's part of the formula for success. It's part of how the Christian life is lived and discovered to be the life that is truly life. They were living it together and there was a sense of awe with them all together. Where is the, when is the last time you had a sense of awe that God was at work when you're in the presence of other believers? For those of you that are in a group in our church today, wherever it might be, whether it's a student group, adults, singles, married couple, whatever it might be, when was the last time you were in that group and there was a sense of awe? I'm an only child. Some of you knew there was a problem. That may be it, okay? I'm an only child. It's not common for me. I didn't have to share, okay? Nobody clapped when I shared a toy. There was no one to share. I was just, I had my stuff. I was fine. So at times, it's hard for me to share the things that I love, even with my family, my close friends, the the people that I do life with. I was walking through Publix a few weeks ago, down the ice cream aisle, searching for the presence of God. I knew I was in the vicinity. (laughs) And there was a very rare sight for a Publix. There was a sale... And there was a, I don't know why I'm taking shots at them, it's fine. One dollar, this little cup of Ben and Jerry's, filled with the Holy Spirit. I could sense it. And I could sense it because it's my favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor, chocolate fudge brownie. Amen, yes, thank you. Man, spirit is moving. I typically eat ice cream before I go to sleep at night. I don't think I can sleep without it. I've never tried. I'm not sure, but I, I kind of have to have it. I didn't tell my family I got it. I bought it. I just went home, put it in the little secret part of the freezer where I hide my Reese cups. They know where that is, too. But they, had, they weren't looking on this particular evening. And I went and I grabbed my ice cream. I put it in this bowl of blessedness. And I went and sat down and in the bed next to my wife. And I met with Jesus. And we just enjoyed the goodness of God together. The next morning or a couple days later, I was thinking, my family doesn't know about Jesus and Ben and Jerry's ice cream and how the Spirit of God moves in that place. Those guys don't even know they're getting help from Jesus, but they are, you know. I enjoyed it. I was fine. But I decided I wanted to do something else. It was a very simple moment. I went back down the ice cream aisle, and I spent $17 on an actual thing of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, (laughs) whatever it is. It was on sale. (laughs) I came home into the kitchen I called the boys my wife to the kitchen island boys thought they were in trouble I don't know why that's a whole other story for another day I brought the ice cream to the altar I mean to the island (laughs) and my guys we cheer for the Dallas Cowboys together they are growing in their addiction of Starbucks I'm passing that right along to them we, we love Disney and all things Disney together. I've passed on a lot of things to them. 
And we've shared a lot of things together. But this is something we hadn't yet. And I needed them to know about chocolate fudge brownie. And so we just spooned it out together. And I let them discover the goodness of God alongside of me. And I'm not telling you there was a sense of awe and wonder and worship. Although I couldn't keep the story going. But truly, not only for them, but for my life. To share something that I knew, to share something that was great in my life, brought me a sense of joy for them to understand it as well. Can I tell you, the Christian life was not meant to be lived in isolation. There's very little awe, there's very little wonder, there's very little to get excited about. But when we come together in the name of Jesus, just two or three or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, in the very middle of it. There I am. When was the last time you had a sense of awe? Group leaders, there's a few of you in here in this service today. I know you're in, scattered throughout each service. Group leaders, can I challenge you with something? Would you pray that this year as you meet in a group that there would be a sense of awe like there's never been before? You know, when I've experienced awe among fellow believers, it's when we've been striving together in prayer We've been pleading in prayer for God to do something, for a group member to get a job, for a bill to be paid, for a custody situation to work out, for whatever it might be. And then we have those moments when God says, yes, yes, healing comes, whatever it might be. And then together we are in awe, sharing in the fact that we have been walking close with Jesus and experiencing him in a way together we never could alone. It's a powerful thing. And day by day, Acts 2 verse 45 says, they are continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness, sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, all the people in the community. Everyone was looking at them saying, I want to be a part of that. My hope, my prayer for our church is that we would become the community that we and everyone else are so desperately longing for. All the people looked. When was the last time you were with a group of believers and someone who's not following Jesus came to you and said, I want to be a part of that? Would you pray that that would happen in our groups? Pray that that would happen all across this community. I want to show you what it looks like for just a moment. What it looks like for a community to break out and come to our homes and to take place in a way that otherwise it would not be experienced if you stayed off at a distance. Have a look. So it was about two years ago, and I sat down to Google God. It was at a time where I was really desperate. When my husband's business grew, and it grew fast, we were starting to get big where you feel the weight, and we began to take some pretty big risks um, financially. And as the time went on, I felt like my decisions weren't good enough. We weren't doing the right things. I no longer felt smart enough. All those years that I had defined who I was by how successful I'd been was gone. 
I, I was not just lost, but I was in pieces. Whatever I was or whatever I thought I was just wasn't enough anymore. And I was, I was in a really dark place, you know, the kind that you want to crawl in a closet and hide and hope you're invisible. I, I didn't know where to go. I started to realize, I believe at the same time that Steph was just struggling with, with our business. I started getting convicted and, and God was putting on my heart that you need to share this. You've, you've, you've kind of, you had this close relationship with me and you've let it wane and you need to lead this family through this tough time that your wife is having and your kids don't even really know me. I was searching for uh, churches nearby and I found um, a church called Westridge. I think I listened to six months of, of these messages before I even stepped foot in the church. And uh, one day I was, had a little extra time, and I drove to the church. And I thought, you know, this doesn't look like a church. I didn't grow up in a church. Um, I'd only seen them. So I went home and I said, Mike, I have seen this church. It's huge. Um, and we could go. We could go to this church, and no one will know us, and we'll sit in the back, and we could be completely anonymous. And so it wasn't long after that. It was December 29th, 2014. Uh, we got ready, um, and we went into, I think, the 11 o'clock service. And at the very end, whoever is speaking says, you know, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, that... And if you're looking for peace and you feel lost, then you can do this now and you can have that prayer. And I did, because I was done. You know, I was, I was over. I was over all of this stuff. And we went back, except we sat a little bit closer this time. So all this point of thinking that you're going to sit in the back and use that one hour a week, it, you know, you find that it doesn't fill you up. Not enough. And so the next thing we know, um, they're making an announcement about uh, auditions for worship and, and Mike plays drums. And so we're like, hey, you should go do this. So he did. So here I am pulling out my drums out of the closet after not playing for 20 years and being able to play with the, with the band and help other people worship. I mean, here I was just wanting to go experience, you know, Sunday church. Then all of a sudden, here I am trying out and helping other people that are coming to Westridge for the first time experience God and worship God. I mean, that was just blew my mind. So I started serving. I ended up working with guest services. You know, I enjoyed meeting people and having a chance to talk with people when I first started in the Help Center. It's funny because all the things that I thought I never had time for, I've made time for this. And then we saw this promo for starting point and it had to do with taking your family or as a couple going and meeting other people we knew that we wanted to be more than just Sundays and they were supposed to match you up with other local couples and people going to church that were in different stages of, of following Christ and Steph was like do you want to do this and like absolutely here we are um, you know a year of going to group and group meets during kind of school year in the summer were off. But all of a sudden, a few weeks into it, we realized that we missed everyone that we were with. And we were like, how about everyone come over to our house? So here we are, you know, 
a year after going to Westerns that we thought was just going to be Sundays. And we have the biggest group that we've ever had at our house just to eat dinner, just to catch up with them and find out how their lives are going. I mean, the the small groups are just, it's just amazing. I mean, it's it definitely is living life together. So what we originally intended to hide, it didn't work. And the more that we served and we were part of Starting Point, this is really what God intended. This is really what he had planned for us all along. Today, Jesus is saying, how close do you want to be? The invitation is to get off the sidelines and to come into community. It's how we make disciples at Westridge. We know that when you get groups of people together and they open God's word together, that God speaks. There's no homework to do. There's, you don't have to know anything. A lot of our groups are just have listened to the messages. There's questions in your app. I mean, there's, there's nothing for you to know or do. Everyone starts at a different place. Your place may be so isolated, you may be Googling God. That's a pretty isolating place. And then you find yourself in the parking lot, and then you find yourself in the room. And it doesn't matter where you sit, by the way. I love our people in the back row, all right? All our Baptists back there, you know who you are. Most of those people get here early so they can sit back there, okay? But the invitation from Jesus is to come close. And we know that life change happens in small groups. We know that it's key for you to discover the life that's truly life. It's to share it with others and be on that abundant life journey with someone else. So we're going to take some time to do something in service right now because we believe in this with our whole hearts. I'm asking you to stay to the very end. I've got some things I want to share with you in just a moment. But our host team is going to come right now, right now as I'm talking, guys and gals. You're going to come and they're going to start passing out these cards. We just call it a Get Connected Survey. And they're going to pass them out to all of you along with pencils or if you've got a pen on you, you can do that. They're going to pass them out right now really quickly, guys. Just start giving them out. Nobody's got them yet. Every single one of you should get one of these. Every single one of you. And I want to invite every single one of you to fill this out. Okay? You're not making a till death do us part commitment. You're just saying, you know what? I'm going to give, I'm going to put Jesus on the hook here a little bit. And I'm going to do life the way he did life. I'm going to do it in community. On one side of this card, there's the opportunity, and you can start doing it even as I'm talking. I'm just trying to help us with this moment here. We want to ask everybody to fill out your contact information. And if anything has changed, we can use this, what you're filling out today, to help us with our databasing, things like that. Let us know how old you are married, looking, whatever, you know, whatever your deal is. And there's an opportunity there, as you saw on the video, there's an opportunity to get involved in serving if you want. Be a part of helping our kids become disciples, our students on Wednesday night, our, some of the other things that happen. They, it's not a weekly commitment. Sometimes it is if you want it to be. It doesn't have to be. We have people that serve once a month. We have people who just wh- whatever it might be who are in groups that only meet occasionally. But you've got the one side. The reason why we want you to fill it out individually is because a student might want to serve somewhere different from mom and dad or you as a couple might serve in different places, whatever it might. If you fill it out as a couple, it's fine. 
but we want to give a card to everybody so that everyone can can do their own deal here and getting getting connected and then on the back there's groups and no matter where you are in your spiritual journey everyone has the same starting point in groups we actually call it starting point and it happens next Sunday afternoon I'll be at 4.30 we'll contact you about it and follow up to this card right away in the next day or so if at all possible we've got a team of staff and volunteers that are going to be going through every single one of these they've already started from the first service to contact you and to help you You may need a care and support group right now because of something you've dealt with. You may want to get in a group as a married couple. You may want to get in a group as a single person with other people in kind of the same stage of of your life, whatever it might be. We want to help you get connected in a group because it is the key, one of the most important keys, one of the key environments for becoming a more fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ give you about another minute, minute and a half to fill these out. We'll collect them at the doors. I've got one other thing I want to share on my heart before we dismiss. Scriptures say in the book of Acts that because of what was happening house to house, that the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Those who were putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Church is a group of people who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who will, wherever they live, work, and play, proclaim that Jesus Christ has come and that he loves people and he's died on the cross to set the world right and he's risen from the dead to give us victory. And more than ever before, we need every neighborhood, every street covered up with that message. And so I want to invite you to come close. I want to invite you to share your life with others invite you to proclaim Jesus wherever you live, work, and play. If you would, would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? We had several people in the first service make a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ for the first time. And so I want to give that opportunity again in this service. The invitation to following Jesus is for every single man, woman, child on the planet. Today, if you're here, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Right now, would you join me in prayer in your own words and declare in your own life that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You can pray, God, I come to you in this moment, not understanding everything, not knowing it all, just knowing that I need you. Today, I put my faith and trust in the fact that God sent you, Jesus, into this world for me to cover up my sins, all the ways that I know that I fall short like everyone else. I give my life to that today. And I believe that Jesus is resurrected today, that I might experience a brand new, abundant life both now and forevermore. If you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you've prayed and reached out to him, would you also, you can use the card. It's already on there with heads bowed and eyes closed. You can use the card. There's a card on that front side that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my savior. Just take a moment and let us know because we want to help you in this most crucial of all decisions to get started in your journey with Jesus. God, we receive your invitation today 
to come close. Help us to become more like you every single moment of every day. God, if we're stalled out today, would you reignite us? God, would you give us moments of awe? And would you bring us back together week after week to worship you together and to watch you work together and to partner with you together in ways that we never have been able to see and be a part of before? And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.